Well, praise the Lord. You ready for the Word of God? Amen. I want to talk about God's design for victory, and I'm going to be using the story of Joshua chapter 2. But you know, last week we celebrated Easter. Forty-four people gave their heart to Jesus. Isn't that exciting? Come on, let's give it up. But Pastor DJ made a statement while he was leading us in worship. And he said something to this effect that we shouldn't just wait for Easter to celebrate the resurrection. That the power of the resurrection should be something we practice every day. Not only at home, but when we come to the house of the Lord. And the more I thought about that and was asking God what he wanted me to share this morning, I started realizing that there's a lot of Christians. We celebrate Easter. We're excited. We believe in the resurrection. But and then after Easter is over, it's life sometimes as usual. We live a life sometimes that doesn't reflect what all was purchased for you and I at the cross and through his resurrection. And it's why so many times we have, I have to remind myself all the time too. This is not only you, you know, we, we're talking to us. We tend to forget when we're going through a trial that he has equipped us with every good gift to overcome the enemy. So that's, that's where that message is coming from. Because how can, how can we hope to win spiritual battles in a culture that is increasingly drifting towards pagan values? Think about that. We're living in a, it's not only around the world, but in America more than everywhere else. We got some weird people with some weird stuff. Can't use the word father and the word mother and brother and, you know, now Dr. Seuss got kicked out. Potato head got kicked out. Now, you know, that may at times sound like, ah, but you know what? The church is becoming the enemy because of our convictions. Our nation, many of our leaders don't want you to ask them about Jesus for you to share convictions because your convictions shows their degradation and where they're headed from. It exposes the darkness in their life. And if they will do anything they can to intimidate us, to keep silent, to be quiet, to hide your faith. And in the process, the devil uses that to shut you and I up and to get you and I to go to church, to have a Bible at home. Sometimes we don't even read it. To come and sing praises to the Lord and raise your hand and leave here. And the rest of the week, we live in defeat. We don't know how to overcome trials. The devil attacks our family. The devil attacks our children. He attacks our finances. He attacks our health. And we wonder where is all this coming from? And we want to blame God for it. Because sometimes we don't know what all was purchased for us the day that he came out of that tomb. 
And the Canaanites in Joshua's time were wicked people. They were a wicked nation, hated and despised all values of God and God's children. They participated in the sacrificing of children, alternative lifestyles, idolatry, witchcraft, every known sin known to mankind at the time and worse. They practice it. And finally, God, God got fed up and God wanted it to, to, to eliminate them, exterminate every one of them. And in order for the Israelites to conquer the land, they had to devise a plan. And in Joshua 2, it begins to give us how this plan comes about. But I want to back up for a minute here because prior to this, Moses brought the children of Israel out of the bondage of 400 years of slavery, of mistreatment, out of Egypt. And they get to the Jordan River. And from the Jordan River to the other side, they see the promised land that God had given them. Moses sends 10 spies. They come back and eight spies began to say, oh, we can't do that. They're dead giants in the land. Why, you should see their gardens. I mean, they got, they got grapes that big. I mean, a, an exaggeration. They're very well armed. And only two men, Caleb and Joshua, came back and said, no. That's our land. That's, we can take them. It's like taking candy from a baby. We can do it. And you know what they did? They believed the report of the eight. You know what that tells you and I? The majority is not always right. God says, who is going to stand in the gap? If I could only find one person to stand in the gap. So Joshua now is in charge and he sends two spies to go into Jericho to check out to see what was going on there. You got to realize that today we have an enemy. The same enemy they had we have today and that is Satan. And you know what the Bible teaches you and I? And this is where many Christians fail. And I'm not saying this in any way as a condemnation. Let's just be honest. This is where we, you and me, sometimes make a mistake. And that is that, that we must be taught and learn how to spy on Satan. I've had a lot of Christians say, spy on Satan? Are you crazy? The Bible says so. In 2 Corinthians 2.11, it says, we all know what goes on in his mind. He's talking about the devil. And if you read that same verse in the New King James Bible, it says, lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Matter of fact, I, will, I, I would like to phrase that, for we should not be ignorant of his devices. 
Because God has made it plain and clear in the word of God that we should know the devices and the weapons that he has provided for you and I to be overcomers over the enemy, to know his game, to know his lies, so that when he starts that lie and that game and the attack, that immediately you pull the weapons of warfare and say, uh-uh, devil, not here, baby. No, 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 hold on here. I'm a child of the living God. I've been washed in the blood of Jesus. I'm a child's kid. You got no room here. I belong to Jesus. You get behind me and don't push. So he sends the, these two spies and they were directed to a motel that was managed by all people, a prostitute called Rahab. Now don't jump to conclusions here. God, God will use anything and anybody. If he used a donkey, he could use Ron Delgado. And you too. And it just happened to be the best place in town for them to find out what the citizens of Jericho were really thinking. What was really on their mind. God had already begun to work in the heart of Rahab. She had an extraordinary future that she knew nothing about. She had no concept of where God was going to take her. And God would use her... In overcoming the fear and the paralysis of Israel for 38 years. Because that generation of, 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 of the Israelites that left Egypt under Moses when they got to this side of the river. And they heard the bad report from the eight, eight guys that came back. They said, we're not going to do that. And they refused to let Moses to lead them into that which belonged to them. And God got angry with them and he told them, because you have refused to do what I've told you to do. I have promised you the land. I told you that I'd be with you. I, 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 I parted the Red Sea for you. I have fed you bread. I have put a cloud over you at night to keep you, keep you night, uh, during, the, during the day to keep you warm. I mean, God gave him heavenly air conditioning. He put a cloud over them, the best heating system in the world, and light to guide them. He fed them manna every day. He sent them biscuits and gravy every morning. I mean, you can't beat that. I know. And yet in spite of all of the miracles and all the battles, when they got to that place, they refused and God told them, there you will die. You're going to live there, but you'll never see and enjoy the blessings of the promised land. Church, God has given you promises and blessings that it is sad for you and I to live a life and never take advantage of them and live like paupers, live underneath our privilege as God's children. So God, God began to move. And from this one woman, the spies would receive all the information they needed to report back to that commander. And, and what information did these spies gather as a fact-finding mission? Here's number one. The enemy was ready for warfare. That's what they found out. These people were ready to do battle. It didn't take long for these spies to be identified as strangers. Immediately the word got out 
the Israelites have sent spies here to spy the land. And suspicion sat in, in immediately into the mind and the heart of the king. When he heard the news that there were spies. And all of a sudden their fears became a reality. The Israelites, they realized were coming. The king sent word to Rahab and told her, hey, you got to turn those guys in. You got to give them up. If you loved us and the king and the loyalty, you got to give them up. And though this king knew that his eventual doom was inescapable, he was prepared to fight to the death. Rahab took a great risk by hiding the spies and sending the king's soldiers on a wild goose chase. Church, listen to me. The devil knows he was defeated at the cross of Calvary. He knows his time is limited. He knows he's not going to win. He knows that you and I have the wherewithal with the word of God and the power of God and the power of the spirit of God to be victorious over all his schemes and all his attacks. But he is not going to give up a fight. He is going to fight us till the day we die. But we have got to challenge him and let him know, no, I have been equipped and I'm going to use the equipment against you. And I'm going to live here, but I'm going to live in victory. Yeah. And they, they realized, these spies realized, these guys are ready for war. They were ready to fight. God had worked in this woman's heart. Had them ready. And when God's people plan to attack, the enemy immediately attempts to focus an angry response. Don't think that the devil is not going to fight you. Don't ever get into your mind, if I leave the devil alone, he won't mess with me. If you, if you think that, he, he already has you. He has got to be told, I know in whom I have believed in. And I know that he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Devil, you cannot mess my family. You cannot destroy my children. You're not going to mess with my health, with my finances, with God's plan in my life. With all of the mess I've committed, I'm going on and I'm going to victory because God has given me reason and power to overcome you. The second thing they found out was that the enemy was afraid. Now, and now listen to that. They were afraid. If anyone knew what the people of her day thought about the Israelites, Rahab did. She knew. She heard all the news. It's like, it's like a barbershop and a beauty salon. That's not, you, ain't, you girls ain't going to get away with it either. That's where all, that's where all the rumors start. That's where all the, all the news gets out. You see, they found out that they were afraid. And the sad thing about it is that they just did not just begin to be afraid. They have been afraid for the 38 years that the Israelites were on the other side of the river refused to go there. 
Fear did not just go into their heart. They just bluffed the Israelites. And because they bluffed them, they failed to go into the promised land. Now God took a new generation of people with a new leader. And he says, you guys get in there because you can do it. How, how, you don't want to live a life for God, whether it be 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years, and realize that the whole time you have lived a life of fear because you refuse to use the weapons of warfare that was given to you. And the spies realized that they had heard what they wanted it to hear. This is what they heard, that the Canaanites knew the rightful owners of the land. They knew that. Joshua 2.9 says, Rahab says, I know that the Lord has given Israel this land. Every, listen to this. Everyone shakes with fear because of you. That's what he said. The whole nation knows that this land doesn't really belong to us. It belongs to you, the Israelites. And we tremble with fear. All we're doing it is faking it. We're afraid that you guys are going to come here. Church, let me tell you, the devil knows that you as a child of God have the equipment to do him in. And if you use it, he trembles with fear. He doesn't want you and I to use that equipment. He doesn't want you and I to speak the word. He doesn't want you and I to trust God. He doesn't want you and I to use the blood of Jesus to bind the devil, to rebuke the devil, to quote scriptures on him, to stand your ground. He doesn't want that. Just go to church and be a Christian, but just be defeated. And found out that these people were afraid because they knew that it was God who had made the decision as to what belonged to whom, that they were nothing but squatters fearing eviction. They were afraid of being evicted from the land. Satan knows what God has given his people. He knows that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. The resurrection, listen to me, is why God, God let me this way considering we were just came out of Easter. Because you see, the resurrection did not only provide salvation. No, listen, that's the greatest gift we could ever have. But through salvation, he provided more than that. He gave us a whole bag of gifts, let me tell you. He gave us so much big gifts. You start unpacking them, you'll go crazy thinking, my God, this is Christmas every day. He's given us spiritual weapons of warfare. We have the word of God, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Man, he's given us gifts. Gifts of the Holy Spirit that we can walk in the power of God, that we can have the spirit of faith, the spirit of discernment, the spirit of knowledge, the spirit of wisdom. I mean, we can walk in the power of God, not only inside the church, but out there in the marketplace where, where God has us being witnesses. He has given us the armor of God that we ought to put on the armor of God. Ephesians 6, 13. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand, use the armor of God, put on the armor of God. 
and fight them and take your stand. And you say, devil, I'm not going backwards, but I may not be moving forward right now, but I'm sure not giving you any more ground. I'm going to keep taking ground. And you get behind me and don't push. The armor of God, I don't have time to go into every one of those, but he says, put on the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the spirit that you can fight. You know what the sword of the spirit is? The word of God. Memorize it. Read it. Read it. Memorize it. Think about it. Meditate on it. Get it into your heart. Get it from up here, 18 inches in here, into your heart. And let it be a conviction with you that nothing, it's a conviction to you. And it's as real as the blood that flows through your veins. That come hell or high water, we're going to make it. I don't know about you, but I feel good. You see, Satan fears that we will take what already belongs to us. And if he, if he can keep that, listen, there's a scripture that says, and I'm going to paraphrase, he'll send a canker worm to your house to eat at your blessings, to rob you, to bring destruction to your family, to your children, to your finance, to your peace, to your mind, to your happiness. To destroy everything that God has given you. And the Canaanites knew how God had led the Israelites across the Red Sea. They knew that. They had heard. They had heard all the miracles that God had provided. They remembered how the Israelites had been redeemed from Egypt. Because of the blood of the lamb that was sprinkled on the doorpost. You see, after all the plagues, the last plague that came on Israel. On Egypt was that God said he was going to send the death angel. And all the Israelites that would take a lamb, it had to be a young lamb, no bruises, no broken parts, anything. It had to be a pure little lamb. And they were to kill it and they were to get the blood. And the Bible says they were to put in a basin. And then they were to go out to this little bush that grew there called hyssop. And they would take some of that hyssop and they would go to the doorpost and dip it into the bowl and put it on the door, all around the door. And then they were supposed to go into their house and have a meal and worship God. And the houses that did that, their firstborn child would be speared. And those that didn't, their firstborn would die. And I don't know what, what time at night it was, but the angel of death swooped over Israel. And you could hear the moaning and the crying when parents got up and realized that their firstborn was dead. And you know what happened? All the Israelite families that did that, their lives were speared. And that's when Pharaoh said, take those people and get out of here. Because of the blood, the blood, there's power in the blood of Jesus. They knew they couldn't win a war against a God who was able to redeem that whole nation. That's why Jesus died on the cross of Calvary. That's why they put him in the grave. And a lot of you have heard this statement, but I'm going to repeat it, even though we're not, we're, Easter was last week, but Easter's every week. It was Friday, but Sundays are coming. Oh, yeah. 
The devil thought he had it done, but let me tell you, out from the grave he arose victorious for you and I. Why would we want to live a defeated Christian life? Why would we want to live beneath our privilege as a son and a daughter of God? Why would we want to walk around defeated when we have the equipment? Now, I'm not telling you that sickness won't come to you. I'm not saying that difficulties won't come and trials and tribulations, because let me tell you, if there's no testing, there's no trusting. They knew those people were afraid. And to me, when I read this story, it's so sad to know that the nation of Israel that left Egypt did not enjoy the blessings that God because of fear. Fear of the enemy. I don't care how big he is. He's already defeated. And I said this a couple of weeks ago. He's a lion with no teeth. He just roars. He just makes noise. He's an intimidator. But you know what? We got the power to shut him down and cut him down and remind him of the cross. You see the cross? Because Satan does look back at the cross. He looks back over 2,000 years ago. And he melts with terror at what happened to him at the cross. He knows that his defeat is absolutely certain. But let me ask you this. Do you know that? Do you know that? You may know that up here. And I know there's a lot of you that know it here. I'm not taking that for granted. But there's a lot of Christians that don't. Go to church on Sunday, go home, and we wonder why all this stuff happens to us. God, where are you? I'm going to quit going to church because God ain't doing nothing for me. God wants you and I to get active in that which he has given us, the word of God, so that we know what it takes to fight the enemy. You know what concerns me? We have so many false religions in America right now, and if many Christians were to go toe-to-toe with them, defending the faith, some Christians wouldn't know where to start. They'll eat your lunch. Because we have to contend, the Bible says, that we are to contend for the faith And Satan knows that he's been defeated. And you may say, I don't know that. But then we need to start learning to walk in it. Because Satan knows that we as believers have the edge over him. And the second second thing the spies found out was this, that the Canaanites knew God's power. They had heard the Israelites Story after story, Joshua 2.10. We heard how the Lord dried up the Red Sea so you could leave Egypt. And we heard how you destroyed Sion and Og, the two Amorite kings in the east of Jordan River. And in spite of all of those things, the Canaanites still resisted Israel's rightful ownership. They were not going to give up. They knew that they were going to lose, but they decided to continue fighting. They would try to do what Satan still does today, fight a war that it is impossible for him to win. And and unless we let him, we cannot let him do that. We cannot let him do that. We can't let trials, sickness, sin, failure, discouragement, setbacks, Rob us of the victory and the power that God has given us to defeat the enemy. 
For every victory Satan wins, he loses. Every, let me tell you, every time he comes against you and I, every time he attacks us, rather, and every time he attacks your family and attacks everything about you, he will lose. And every time he loses, he will totally be devastated one day because the Bible says in Revelations he's going to be chained up and thrown into the lake of fire. But until then, he is going to try to let us realize that we cannot do that to him. He, does not want to, he doesn't want us to know that he is afraid. He becomes powerless when he approaches a Christian full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. We got to be filled with the Holy Spirit, church. We're a church of the Spirit. The Spirit is not a boogeyman. The Spirit is not something to be afraid of. And I know many of you might have, might have been taught that. Listen, God the Father sent us God the Son, and God the Son sent us God the Holy Spirit. Pastor John Wednesday gave us a great teaching on that. He will walk next to you. He's the Patrick He will walk with you. He'll talk with you. He'll move in you. He will illuminate the word of God to you. He'll speak to your heart. When you read the Bible, the Bible jumps at you and he convicts you or it leads you. It gives you promises. It gives you hope. It tells you what to do and not to do. It helps you to form a life that he loves you to have, a life of power. And when the devil comes against you because you've been in the word, all of a sudden the spirit of God from within inside of you begins to bring scripture. I was talking to a lady in my office the other day from this church. She said she was in a situation and something happened and she didn't know what to say. And all of a sudden the spirit of God began. She said, man, I didn't know. I mean, the spirit of God began to bring scriptures up to her and she began to use the word and that thing, boom, shut down. Bingo, stop here. He doesn't want you to know that. He don't mind you coming to church and being a Christian. Just be a dead, defeated Christian. Think of the courage that must have come to Joshua and his leaders when the spies reported that the enemy was afraid. Now, I don't, I, I don't know about you. When I read the Bible, my mind, I try to read between the lines. And I can imagine that Joshua in his private thinking must have thought, how parents, how sad. How sad for my grandparents, my mom and dad, all the other, that generation that suffered. How sad that they didn't get a chance to enjoy God's blessing because they were full of fear and doubt. I mean, at one time, they wanted to kill Moses for taking him out of Egypt. Can you believe that? Joshua knew that the heights, listen to me, Joshua knew that the heights of Jericho's walls made no difference to God. God had already said that their protection had departed from them. They were going down, they were going down bad. Those walls, I, some time ago I read something where those walls were like 52 feet thick and I don't know the height. You know, God just turned them into powder. And likewise, Satan tries to hide behind walls. 
to have to hassle you and I. And you know what those walls are? And if you read the Bible, those are strongholds of the enemy. He will build a stronghold in your life. Not demon possession. I'm talking about a stronghold of the enemy. He has you jacked up in some area of your life. He has you in some addiction. He has you believing a lie that you're insecure, that you can't do it, that you're not smart, that you're not able, that your marriage is going down the drain, that your children are going to messed up, that your health is going to messed up, that because of what happened to you when you were a kid or when you were this, that, the other, that that's going to plague you the rest of your life and your grandfather and your father, they were all alcoholics, so that's what's going to happen to you. He's going to lie to you in every which way, in every form, and get you to believe that. He puts that in you, and just about the time you have a breakthrough in your life, and you're getting ready to walk out in the power of God, that devil comes out of that wall and says, oh, you can't do that. Do you remember what you did? You know where you've been? You know who your family is? You know what you've done? You know what you did yesterday? You can't do that. That's a lie from the devil. Tell him, devil, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. <laughs> Strongholds of the enemy. Walls. Because you know what he wants you to do? He wants you and I to think that we're fighting physical, emotional, psychological battles rather than spiritual ones. That's why in Ephesians 6, 12, he says, For our struggles is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the powers of this dark world and against spiritual forces in, in, of evil in the heavenly realms. Listen, your battle is not against your ex-wife, your ex-husband, your brother, your sister, your employer, your neighbor, whatever. No, your battle is against the enemy. He uses them to fight you, but he's the one behind the whole thing. So quit attacking people. Go attack the devil. Get on to him. Use the word against him, and that other situation will get solved. And if you remain faithful to God and his word... We will always realize that Satan's protection, like Jericho, has been removed. We're children of the king. We're king's kids. We're protected and covered. God can demolish the walls and expose the true sources of our defeat. He can, he can everything that comes against us, he can destroy it. Because he knows how to blow Satan's cover. And he wants, you know what he wants you and I to do? To know Satan's devices. You know how you're going to know the devices? Get into the word. Get in a small group. That's right. Get in a small group. Start learning the word of God. Start sharing the word of God with other people. Start reading the word. Get an accountability partner. Get into the word. Start learning the word of God. Start reading the word of God. I don't care if you got to use the message Bible. Hey, whatever it takes, read it. To understand it. Start getting it into your heart. Start thinking about it. God, speak to me. Say something to me about this. Write something down. And when the enemy comes, you know what John, the book of John says, the best book for you to know who Jesus is, is the book of John. You want to know what John says? That the Holy Spirit will bring all things back to your remembrance. Oh, let me tell you, you put the word of God in you, the Holy Spirit will bring it out. But you know what? If you don't put the word of God in you, there's nothing he's going to bring out. He can't bring out anything to you that you haven't put in yourself. That was an extra. And in Joshua chapter 2, verses 12 to 18, and I was going to read them to you, but I'm going to speak to you at the time. The spies make a deal with Rahab that because of her kindness and protection to them, that they would spare her and her family. And I'm going to read verse 12. I think it's the first couple of verses. 
12 and 13, please promise me. She says to them, in the Lord's name that you will be as kind to my family as I've been to you. Do something to show that you won't let my, your people kill my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters, and their families. She says, look, I've, I've hid you. I've protected you because I know the God you serve. In other words, she's saying, I believe in the God you serve. I know this nation is doomed. Promise me that you won't do that. And if you go to verse 17 and 18, he says, they said, you made us a promise to let you and your family live. We will keep our promise, but you can't tell anyone why we were here. You must tie this, listen to this, this is the key right here. You must tie this red rope, rope on your window when we attack and your father and mother, your brothers and everyone else in your, your family must be here with you. The red rope. You know what that red rope resembles? It resembles the blood of Jesus. It's the crimson blood of Jesus. That if you read every book from Genesis to, to Revelation, every book speaks of the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus flows through that whole Bible. He, they told him, you put that red rope on that window. When we come by, you're not going to die. You're going to be protected. Just like the blood that was put on the posts of the homes of the Israelis when they were back in Egypt. Just like the blood of Jesus that was shed on Calvary for you and I. There is power, wor power, wonder-working power in the blood of Jesus. All she had to do was hang that rope, that scarlet thread on that window of her house. And their whole household would be spared. She didn't realize that that scarlet rope symbolized the scarlet thread that runs through the Bible. She didn't know that. But she did it anyway. Because that began all the way back in the Garden of Eden when God had to kill an animal to dress Adam and Eve because they were hidden in their shame. And this meant that blood had to be shed for the atonement of our sins. John 1.29 says, here is the lamb. When John the Baptist was baptizing Jesus, he says, here's the lamb of God which takes away the sins of the world. And we see it in the book of Revelation where the choirs of heaven are singing in Revelations 5.9. He says, you are worthy to receive the scroll and open its seal because you were killed. And with your own blood, you brought for God's people from every tribe, every language, and every nation, and every race, no matter what color, no matter what nation, you paid the price for our freedom. You shed your blood for us to walk in victory. You see, it's not when we get to heaven. He wants you to take some of heaven and walk it out here. Walk in the victory of heaven here. And Rahab's faith in God brought salvation to her family. Hebrews eleven thirty one 31 says, Rahab had been a prostitute, but she had faith and welcomed spies. So she wasn't killed with the people who disobeyed. And I'm going to close with a story. And the story is told of, in the early part of this last century, an artist painted a picture of a chess game the players were, was a young man who was a chess player and Satan. The young man controlled the white pieces and Satan controlled the black pieces. If the young man was to win, 
he would be forever free of the power of evil. If Satan was to win, the young man would be his servant forever. The artist, who was also a great chess player, had the pieces lined up in such a way that the devil just had to move his queen and announce checkmate in four moves. The young man was seen in the picture hovering over his rook with his face pale with fear. Full of fear because he didn't think he was going to win. And that's the way the painting was left. For years, that picture hung in an art gallery. And chess players from all over the world would come to the art gallery to look at that picture, at the configuration of the chest, how it was, the pieces were, to see if somehow they could figure out if there was any way that they could be convinced that the devil could really win. One day, a famous chess player by the name of Paul Murphy was brought into the gallery to view the picture. And he stood there gesturing with his hand and finger as in his mind he was moving the pieces together and his imagination, eliminating one move after another. And to the amazement of all, the old man figured out a combination of moves that would defeat the devil. And standing in front of the picture, he yelled out, young man, make the move. He shouted, you can win. You can defeat him. Make the move. And that's what God's telling you and I. He may have his moves, but the move that already was made for you and I was made on the cross of Calvary. We got the winning piece. That's the blood of Jesus. We can make it. And just when we think the devil has outplayed us, God reminds us that there is a move we can make. The king of our Jericho may shout, checkmate, but God can show us a move that we can make that, has, that, that cannot cross the bloodline and it can never cross the enemy's mind. He, you, you catch him off guard. He says, oh, I've been had. God has an infinite number of possibilities at his disposal. And you at times and I may feel boxing and we feel, God, what's going to happen to me? What, what am I going to do? But God is not boxed in. God is free and open to help us with every spiritual gift that he has given us. God is willing to use supernatural resources to fulfill his promises that he has made his people. The Israelites were standing on the wrong side of a fast-flowing river. Let me tell you, but that was no obstacle for God. There is always a move that God can make. And in Matthew chapter 1, when you read Matthew chapter 1, and I'm going to close with this here. The chapter 1 of Matthew has the genealogy of Jesus. And when you read the genealogies, all these weird names, all of a sudden you come to chapter 5 and Solomon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Oh, glory to God. He had a former prostitute in his family line. Yes, you see, the gospel is for everybody. Everybody from God saves everybody. Listen, everybody, there's power in the blood of Jesus. He takes them from the guttermost to the uttermost and washes and cleanses them. And talking about the cross of Calvary, Colossians 2, 15, 
says, there Christ defeated all powers of forces. He let the whole world see them being led away as prisoners when he celebrated his victory. That's what he did for you and I. Let's bow our heads. This morning you may say, you know, Pastor, I've drifted. I've drifted from God. Maybe you, you're not where you should be with God. Maybe in your case, what you must do is to say, I'm ready to rededicate my life to Jesus. Maybe you've been hurt and maybe you've had a battle that you're not winning and you've gotten discouraged. Well, you know what? I've been there. We've all been there. You're not the only one. Preachers are not not an exception to the rule. You can say, this morning, I'm convinced I'm going to rededicate my life to Jesus. And if you want to do that, I just want you to raise your hand and put it down. God bless you. Anyone else through this auditorium? Just raise your hand and put it. Don't be afraid. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus for these that raise their hand. And certain we serve you notice that not only are you a liar, you're defeated. You've been defeated at the cross of Calvary. You have no authority over God's children. I pray for every person that raised their hand. I rebuke any stronghold of the enemy that may be on their life, any lie, any hurt. Father, I pray that they make a comeback so strong that the devil is going to tremble when they see what's going to happen in their lives, Father. And as you keep your heads bowed, maybe you're here, and what you must do is accept Jesus as your Savior. I'm not saying that you may not believe in him, but you have yet to give your heart to Jesus. I'm not asking you to give your heart to this church or to a pastor or to a denomination or to an organization. None of us died for you. Jesus did. I want you to accept the fact that he loves you. He cares for you. All I want you to do is say, Lord, I want you to be my Lord and Savior. Come into my heart. I'm going to surrender my life to you. If you want to do that this morning, right where you're at, we're not going to call you up here. Just right where you Just raise your hand and say, Pastor, pray for me. I want to give my heart to Jesus. I want to give my heart to Jesus. Amen. All the way back there. Yes. Yes. Let's bow. Let's pray together, Father. I want you to pray with me. Say, Father, thank you for sending Jesus. I accept that he is your son, the Savior of the world, who rose from the dead. I ask you to forgive me of my sins, of all of my transgressions. I invite you into my heart. I ask you to place your spirit in me. I ask you to guide and direct my life that I may live for you, that I'm going to see you one day face to face, not as a stranger, but as a friend. I thank you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.